Legal problems for banks aren't over quite yet, but you're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, yesterday we talked about Dennis Rodman in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Today we got some more of that. Dennis Rodman, still in North Korea, sung Happy Birthday to, it's Kim Jong-un now, right? Mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un I think so. sung Happy Birthday to Kim Jong-un before a basketball game there. By the way, I'll point out, apparently the, in the first half of this basketball game, the North Korean team scored 47 points to 39 for the Americans. Shocker. Apparently, Amazing basketball. This is also the, this, the country that said that Kim Jong-il shot an 18 playing golf. So I don't know how Just credible saying. their sports news is. If you were in North Korea in front of the dictator, what song would you sing for him? Garth Brooks, I've Got Friends in Low Places. <laughs> oh, brutal. I, I think he's a fan. He's probably a fan of Garth Brooks. I would sing Call Me Maybe because Ooh. if there's any sign of the freedoms we have in America, it's me singing Call Me Maybe. Call yes, me it maybe. is. That's a, that's a sign of it's our a good day. freedom. Let's hit the headlines. First headline of the day. We've got the Wall Street Journal. Federal probe targets banks over bonds. More, more probes. This is more probes, more settlements for the banks. Uh, what they're investigating now, what regulators are looking into, is whether banks deliberately mispriced mortgage bonds during the depths of the pri- uh, crisis. So whether you had mortgage bond traders using the, the opacity of the market at the time to either uh, buy stuff too low, sell stuff too high, misprice bonds in, in, in any given way. The banks that they're talking about being included in this probe include Citibank, uh, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan. Interestingly, one big one wasn't mentioned. Bank of America. These are reported well, Wells, names, too, Wells, we Wells Fargo, either. And Wells but, Fargo. Uh, we wouldn't have really expected Wells Fargo. Right. This wasn't a formal announcement of any investigation, so they could be on there. This was just what the Wall Street Journal was putting out. So maybe they're on there. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting because this is kind of the post-crisis behavior. And we've been saying that a lot of the stuff being prosecuted now is pre-crisis stuff. That behavior maybe is no longer going on. This is hinting at the fact that it was still going on, potentially, allegedly, after kind of the depths of the crisis and moving forward. So, I don't know. To me, if if we continue to see... This is more during the depths of the crisis. During right? the depths of the crisis. But to me, if we continue to see alleged bad behavior from 2010, 2011, 2012, I think that starts to be concerning at a certain point. And we're not there yet. I mean, this is kind of the depths of the crisis. So, I don't know. It's, it's on my radar. It doesn't make me feel good by any means. Uh, This is a line from the article. The other parties in such transactions would typically be rival banks, hedge funds, and other large investment firms. Deliberate mispricing can come in a lot of different guises, but there's got to be, I I feel like there's got to be some onus on Mm -hmm. who's buying the security. At at the Fool, we tend to be more, I I don't want to say we're we're all value investors, but we tend to be value-conscious investors, meaning that we know, have, have a sense of the value of what it is that we're buying. And when somebody's buying something from an investment bank, it's, I don't think they should be relying on that seller for the absolute value of what they're, they should have a sense of the value of what they're, what they're buying. Right, the lines that kind of differentiate good salesmanship to misrepresenting the facts, that's not super clear here. And especially when you're talking about big hedge fund clients, I don't think we should have a ton of sympathy for them maybe not doing enough due diligence potentially, um, as opposed to being a victim of fraud. So we'll see how it plays out. 
feel terrible that they're not making billions. <laughs> All right, next next headline. Next headline going to the FT. Blackstone builds Indian real estate empire. Obviously, Blackstone's been very active in the U.S. home market. We've talked about that before, and this is highlighting that they're moving into Indian real estate and commercial real estate over there. Pretty interesting story. India's a economy that's it's very polarizing. On one hand, you have huge demographics. Almost a fifth of the world's working population lives in India. But on the, second, on the other hand, the economy hasn't been growing that fast in recent years, around 4% annual growth. That's not great for those demographics there. So interesting that they're moving into a space that's potentially game-changing over the next decades. But I don't know. I think it highlights that Blackstone can be anywhere they want to be. But whether it's a really good decision, I, I'm not sure. What do you think? Blackstone's real estate arm... Shooting the lights out. This, this is now. This is the largest. Uh, this is the largest division of Blackstone. And so, when we think about what Blackstone is as a as a private equity company, as a uh, financial conglomerate, I think we really have to say because they have an M and A arm, they have a financial advisory arm. They're, they're doing the buyouts of, of companies, of operating companies. But this real estate has become such a focus for them. And John Gray over at Blackstone just done such a good job. And and there are a lot of people that think that he will take over for Schwartzman mm-hmm. running the entire company when Schwartzman retires. I think that would be a good move. What's interesting is that this is, uh, we just recently saw the Hilton IPO uh, from Blackstone. Blackstone had bought out Hilton, but that was at the top of the market. What they were saying in this FT article about Blackstone's Indian investments is that they did a lot of this at the bottom of the market over there. So they got a lot better prices. That could mean a lot better returns for both the investors in the funds and investors in Blackstone. And, And when we think about what type of properties are these you think about india wonder what kind of office properties are they investing in most of these properties are for non-indian multinational companies think that they were mentioning goldman sachs google yahoo that need nice office spaces mm-hmm. need uh, reliable power uh, a good place for, for for workers to work there so these are the kind of properties that blackstone owns yeah and there's a there's a quote from gray in there he says people need liquidity and we can fill that void and Exactly. Blackstone, they've got a lot of liquidity, and they can go where that's needed and make some sweetheart deals. Third headline of the day, we've got the Wall Street Journal. Again, this is Citigroup considering selling private equity stake to comply with Volcker Rule. This is yet another sale for Citigroup. It's shed billions of dollars already of of private equity assets. This would be uh, another... smallish sale compared to what they've already done, mm-hmm. but a continued move in that direction. I would say that this is, this is us watching Citigroup continue to move away from that financial supermarket model that Citigroup was moving towards, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the, travelers, with the travelers' acquisition and building itself up into massive scale. Was it a failed experiment? Maybe. It's hard to say otherwise. I mean, yeah, they got a little bit unlucky with the timing. I mean, if they would have started that experiment maybe 10 years earlier, we could have called it a success. Potentially. I don't know. Maybe. I think it's, I think it's a good thing for them to focus on being a traditional bank. Just be a traditional global bank. You have a, a business model that nobody can match that business model anymore. Mm-hmm. No one can become what Citigroup already is. So just own that. Become a good commercial bank. You don't need to do private equity investments anymore to have good returns. I think this is a good thing for Citigroup. All right. Uh, moving on to the focus for today, we've got earnings season uh, kicking off tomorrow mm-hmm. with Alcoa reporting. Uh, we'll get the bank starting to report next week. Here's a, a quick look at the schedule coming up. Uh, Tuesday, 
We've got J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo reporting. Wednesday will be Bank of America. Thursday, you've got a, a big group of, of, uh, of banks reporting, including uh, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs in there. And then Friday, we'll have uh, Bank of New York Mellon. What, are there any particular banks you're going to be watching uh, as they report next week? I don't think I'll be watching any, anyone particular. I think with earnings season, especially banks, it, they're not a huge deal. You're, you're not going to see wild swings in the business models here. They're pretty consistent across the board. But I think I'll be looking at a couple of themes, one being net interest margin. What are they earning on their assets there? Maybe we see that start to turn around now. We've seen interest rates on the longer end of the curve there move up. Maybe banks mm-hmm. are taking advantage of that. And the second thing is, our business is starting to spend. Our clients spending money, which will in turn, er, er, in turn, maybe boost loan demand. And we saw uh, PNC's Bill Demchek say, after 18 quarters of companies generating more excess cash than what they're spending, last quarter they saw that finally start to turn around. People or er, er, and companies starting to spend more, which is very good for these banks. They're sitting on all these deposits. They want to loan them out at good rates to good customers, but there just hasn't been the demand. So I'm going to be watching. What does that look like? Are companies starting to spend more? I think that's very important. I, I'm, I'm with you on the, the capital spending and on, on clients and customer spending. I was on uh, Market Foolery and uh, an Investor Beat yesterday uh, talking a little bit about earnings season. And I said, even more than the banks, I'd be watching other companies. I'd, I'd be watching to see whether these massive cash piles uh, start to get used. Yep. Uh, listen for management plans for capital spending for, for uh, growing businesses. That's going to be a sign of, A, potential greater loan demand and just the economy expanding in general. And that's all, that's all good. So to the extent that any of the banks are talking about that, talking about what they're seeing out there in the environment, I'll be listening for that. Net interest margin, not as much for me because I, I just don't think we'll see that much of a change yet. Um, and I don't know. I, I think we've seen, we've seen a lot of the optimization of the balance sheet, which would be, so when we think about net interest margin, it's going to be the earning assets versus what they're paying on, the, uh, uh, on their funding sources. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these banks have already optimized their funding sources as much as they can. And we've seen some movement on the earning asset side, but not a whole lot. Right. So I don't expect to see too much of that. And when, with Janet Yellen coming in as the new Fed chair, um, We've got sort of a promise that, if anything, the, the low rates are going to extend at least as long, mm-hmm. if not longer than we'd already expected. Um, I'll probably tune in especially to Wells Fargo. I think from the perspective of having a, a broad reach and, and having sort of a normalized business, Wells Fargo is the closest to that. So J.P. Morgan, we've, we've got a lot of Maybe settlement stuff in there. I don't mm-hmm. know if we'll see more legal reserves. I think they. I think they said it'll be additional four hundred million in legal reserves, so not huge. I so think, yeah. I think their earnings will be impacted eight hundred million. That's kind of what they classified it as for this quarter. So not huge. Uh, yeah, a little bit, not much. Bank of America is is still. It's a very idiosyncratic situation. <laughs> I know how much you love that word. Uh, new project, new BAC, mm-hmm. um, reducing expenses is still going to be the story there. It's going to be kind of a similar thing at Citigroup as Citigroup continues to wind down City Holdings. So I think Wells Fargo in a single bank will capture, uh, I think, the best, the, the, the general banking business environment. Yeah, I think that's a good one to look at. And if loan demand is picking up, companies are starting to spend more. I think Wells Fargo is in a good position for that. Their loan to deposit ratio is at 77%. That's kind of the lowest of the big four banks there. So they have a lot of opportunity. Is it really the lowest now? I think it is. Oh, well. Um, so 
they got a lot of deposits just sitting there waiting to be loaned out at, at higher rates. So dry powder ready to fire. They they <laughs> they uh, are still well positioned. So looking good. Um, any of the any of the smaller banks that you're going to be? We don't we don't really have too many of the smaller banks for next week. I, ha- I had KeyCorp looking uh, written down here again. Very low loan to deposit that ratio. As well? It may be. Okay. Not sure. Um, theirs is at 77% as well. They had said they want that to move closer to 90. So they're out there looking for loans. We don't want them to chase loans and make bad loans. But again, a company that's willing and ready to make loans out there. So maybe one to put on your you a fan your radar. Of Some of it. <laughs> I don't. I, I like some parts of the business. You can't get uh, more confident. Ve- very, very, de- <laughs> very dependent on commercial lending. They're they're very dependent on that. People spending and companies spending money and that hasn't been there. So, if that starts to come back, KeyCorp could be in a good position. We've had a couple really good quarters of GDP growth. You like those GDP numbers? They always revise them. I don't always ha- up. I don't hate them. Always up. Always yeah. up. Always, always up. By 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 the middle of 2014, Q Q3. 2013 is going to be like 10% GDP oh, yeah. growth. Easily. For sure. Easily. All right, moving on to the mailbag. We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We love to get uh, emails from mm-hmm. you, from everybody. Uh, again, that's WTMI at fool.com. We have an email today, and this is from Levi in South Dakota. We have listeners all over. The WTMIers are all over the U.S. Question I know Berkshire has Class A. And Class B shares, there's a huge difference in price, but I was wondering if each is directly related. Will they always have the same percentage move? Also, are they both invested in the same companies and securities? David, first of all, how many A shares of Berkshire Hathaway do you own? Um, it's maybe a hundred of them. I'm not sure. That's that's why 100. that's why you're doing this show because you're independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to care, you don't have a care in the world. You no. have all of these Berkshire A yeah. shares, so you can just sit here and. Talk with me. Roughly 100. Yeah, Some of us have to work bad. for a living. You have but yes, it is, you are investing in the same company, and we were pulling up the exact numbers before. A B share is equivalent to one fifteen hundredth of an A share there. Correct. So very small percentage there. So you're getting one fifteen hundredth, but you also have less voting power. It's not an equivalent voting power in terms of what you ultimately Do you remember the voting power? What did you say it was? One. Well, I, told, I told you. I'm asking if you can remember. <laughs> One three, one thirty thousand. No, give it to me. One ten, one ten thousandth. Okay, one ten thousandth of a vote for every B share versus one fifteen hundredth of a of an economic interest. So obviously, with most of the A shares in the hands of Warren Buffett, in going in the direction of, of uh, the Gates, the Gates Trust, mm-hmm. where he's pledged his his uh, wealth, um, that the, most of the voting is going to be controlled elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that there's too many of us that would want to buy up a, a controlling voting stake and try to, takeover. Yeah, try to override Warren Buffett. Um, but yes, to answer that question, like you said, same ownership, same, same ownership in the same company. It's just different ownership uh, stakes per, per share class. Over time, the stocks will move pretty much the same. Over days, it'll be different because the liquidity is different for the A shares and the B shares. So over the long period of time, it'll be... If they ever don't, you could always arbitrage it. There you go. I mean, if you, I, I guess you'd have to have a significant amount that of money. That would be a little tough. To arbitrage that. <laughs> hey, for a big hedge fund. All right, moving on to our game for today. Today we are doing rankings. Mm-hmm. This is where we look at a subsector of the financial industry and we rank companies uh, that we think are promising, uh, 
in terms of how much we like them. Cool. Today we're looking at equity REITs. We yes. talk maybe too much about mortgage REITs on this show, but we're not even touching mortgage REITs in this section today. We're talking about equity REITs. These are REITs that actually own physical properties. David, why don't you kick us off with your rank? You're going to be surprised by my first one. I, Are you going to be surprised? I think you were I'm probably this more up. surprised with my first one. than. Are you surprised? My number one oh. is public storage, okay. ticker PSA. You've probably seen their signs, big orange signs out there. And their CEO, this is how he describes what the self-storage business is about. He says, the key reasons people use self-storage remains the same. Downsizing, death, divorce, and dislocation. None of those things are going away. People are still going to die. People are still going to downsize. People are still going to get divorced. People own too much stuff. And people are going to move. So it's a reliable business, really reliable cash flows here. Great occupancy at almost all of their sites. Really good balance sheet. Credit rating is unbelievable for a real estate company. Recurring revenue, like I said. You get a slightly under 4% dividend. So number one, public storage. I think you're surprised. I'm a little bit surprised. I'm a little bit surprised, but, but I agree with you. And I don't have public storage on my listing, but maybe that was an oversight. And, well, let's go ahead and go, go to my rankings, and then I can say what. I've got, you were probably more surprised. At my, I w- okay, yeah, my, I was more surprised. My, my top two rankings, look, here's the thing. As interest rates plummeted, investors were looking for ways that they can get yield. Mm-hmm. And so high-dividend companies in general became a prime hunting ground for investors. And that's, that's maybe in, including people moving over from, from fixed income securities, coming over to the equity market and looking for places where they can get yield. So generally speaking, equity REITs, in U.S. equity REITs, U.S. traded equity REITs, have not looked particularly attractive to me. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about public storage, 4%, I mean, if you compare that across all stocks, it's pretty decent yield. Mm-hmm. For a REIT, eh, not so much. Uh, public storage probably has more growth opportunity than than maybe some other uh, equity REITs, but uh, but the yields are low because the prices are high because because investors have bid them up. So so tell the listeners I went up to. I went hunting <laughs> I went hunting way off uh, outside of the U.S. My first my number one number one in on my ranking is Sabana Sharia Compliant REIT, and this is a Sharia compliant REIT. Sharia is the the, the Islamic law. Mm-hmm. So this REIT has to comply with Islamic law. That places some restrictions on the businesses that they can get into, what they can invest in. However, it, it uh, opens up avenues of financing from the Islamic world uh, that are not available to a lot of other companies. Uh, this REIT is located in Singapore, owns 27, at the end of 2012 at least, owned 27 industrial properties in Singapore. Now, the GDP growth in, in Singapore has been a little bit volatile, um, I think it was, I thought I had it down in here, but it was, it was low in 2012, but it was coming down from like 6 or 8% mm-hmm. in, in 2011. But it's sort of in that corridor right there of, of the Asian corridor where you've got a lot of growth going on. Uh, my number two was Lippo Mall's Indonesia Realty Trust, as that suggests. Of course. Why would in it Indonesia. Be? Uh, oh, yeah, a Sharia compliant 8.9% dividend. Uh, that's per capital IQ. Uh, Lippo Malls, 8.5% dividend per cap IQ. Um, they own a uh, they own retail properties and, and retail spaces with within Indonesia. Indonesia even stronger GDP growth, 6.2% in 2012, 6.5% in 2011, 6.2% in 2010. In 2012, I believe only China 
beat out Indonesia in terms of, uh, of GDP growth. Um, one of the things that the company said in their 2012 annual report, on the back of this, retail spending growth has been running double digit for the last five years. With similar forecasts the next three to five years, the retail spending strength will continue to underpin the performance of the world, and more so with the supply of new retail mall space remaining moderate and lagging. So I th- I'm not going to say these are two that I, that I know cold, but these are two entities getting outside of the, the, bo- the U.S. box um, their opportunities may lie in the rest of the world when it comes to equity REITs. Uh, if you're looking to, to check out some more of these, you can, invi- you can visit the investor relations sites. Sabana Shirai client uh, trades as SBBSF, at least according to my E-Trade account, and LPMDF. You love it, don't you? Love the banals. Just say, uh, rounding out number three and number four, I just thought in case you really want to hear me say of uh, U.S. options, American Tower. This was on your list. Mm-hmm. I'll let you over that in a minute. Senior housing properties. Uh, I like the theme of senior properties, assisted living, uh, nursing centers, that sort of thing. I haven't found one that's really jumped out at me as top quality, best managed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that this one is it, but this one hits that theme, so I put it on my list. Going back to my rankings, uh, number two, you mentioned it, American Tower. We've talked about it on the show before. They have cell phone towers, and they lease antenna space on those towers. So rather than a physical store, they're leasing space on the towers out to the wireless providers, the Sprints of the world, Verizons of the world. Uh, I'll say my other ones real quick. Uh, Realty Income is my number three, and National Retail Properties. These are both very similar. They are single-tenant, triple-net leases. For what that is, uh, the person in the building pays the insurance, taxes, and maintenance, so it's very low overhead. Both have very high occupancy rates. Realty is a little bit bigger than uh, national retail, so preferred it. And then my last one was equity residential. They focus on the big markets, the New York's of the world, Miami's of the world, for apartment buildings. You mentioned you don't like the apartment REITs or that structure, but... I didn't say I didn't like that. I think you did. I think you said you didn't like it. Today? Um, yeah. I think you're crazy. You said REITs that own apartments you don't like. That's insane. We'll check the tape. That's no, no, no. It's just that it's it's the the. Have you did you look at the valuations? As the valuations right? aren't great. And I what mean, are the yields like? I mean, the yields are they're so so. You and love yields. Equity, I'm just saying for an equity REIT. I mean, right. that's what you're getting in for, right? You want yeah. that money. Well, you you want you want the yield and the growth opportunities. I think you get get both here. So. They're my number five. They're not my number one. If, if I was going to, well, I mean, all of them, really. Mm-hmm. I, if I was going to do number five, I only had four. If I was going to do number five, I'll steal public storage from you. I'll put that as my number five. All I right. might actually put that ahead of uh, senior housing. All right. All right, moving on. To finish the day, on the Twitter sphere, David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from Reuters Business. Bank of America ramps up credit card loans. And the article that they link out to, you like that. I do like that. Uh, they're talking about the third quarter of, of Bank of America, which we already saw the results from that, and credit card loans had moved up after they were shrinking the portfolio. One million new cards issued during that quarter. I think it's a good thing for the strategy here to get more customers into the Bank of America umbrella. And what they're talking about is the bank's really focusing on giving credit cards to existing customers. They don't want just anyone to have a Bank of America credit card. They want, if you have a deposit account, an IRA with us, we want you to have a credit card with us, and it seems to be working. It's that cross-sell. It's working. I love the cross-sell. Yep. Second tweet of the day, we've got Nick Timiros. Timiros? Timiros. I, I can't get that right. Uh, FHFA's want formalizes earlier announcement that he'd suspend loan fee increases announced last month by DeMarco. 
this is, we have talked about this already, confirmation, uh, like you're saying. The fees were going to go up on for both Fannie and Freddie Mac guarantees. Mm-hmm. To me, that was a signal of moving more toward the capital and away from Fannie and Freddie in the market. Um, it was also seen by simply Mel Watt, knowing his history as well, as uh, creating an extra burden on mm-hmm. homes. Um, so he's suspended it. I guess they're going to look at it closer. I don't know if yeah. this. Yeah, I think they're just going to do a more formal review to see kind of what are the impacts here. It was, I think it was a little bit DeMarco trying to be like, oh, one last thing before I leave. And he's saying, not so fast. Hang on there, tiger. <laughs> exactly. All right, final, the distinguished theme, cute animal pics. And this is Puppy enjoying Oh, snow. my gosh. This completes track. I think this one takes the cake. <laughs> is that a golden a retriever? It's a puppy. Golden retriever in the snow. Is it? It could yep. be a lab. I think it's a golden retriever. For all of the buttons on this, on this little sound machine I, I, I have, we need one that's like, ah. We'll get that. Well, let's, we well, let's take it. We'll take it to Twitter. Tell us if that is a golden retriever or a Labrador retriever. The loser, <laughs> Matt thinks it's a lab. I think it's a golden. The loser has to buy the other person coffee tomorrow. Oh. Go on Twitter and tell us. At TMF Financials. All right. Uh, I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David Hansen. And we will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.